Hey, I'm Pastor Steve Holt. I want to empower you today to walk in your true identity as a worshiper and warrior. Today, embrace the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the Born for War podcast. So, before I get into the Word, I'm going to give you my opinion. So, this is not God's opinion, this is my opinion. And so, you can take it or leave it, and you're allowed to disagree in this church. We value different opinions, we really do. So, you don't have to, everybody has a hook, line, and sinker be exactly the same. On, uh, on the essentials of the faith, um, I believe we should be united, but on the non-essentials, there's room for gray, there's room for disagreement, but in my opinion, and I read widely, I study different opinions, I don't just read one particular side of the news, I believe that the military-industrial surveillance can't have anything but a good war complex is behind the wars that are happening right now, and that there, there's a lot of money to be made by having wars. And, um, and I think they want a World War III. I think nothing would give the military-industrial, can't-find-a-bad-war complex more joy than to make billions and billions of dollars on the slaughter of young people. Every one of you in this room, every Ukrainian, every Palestinian and Israeli is created in the image of God. And it's good. God hates war. But wars are going to happen because of sin. And because of satanic and demonic powers that are on this earth. They will go on. They will continue. Never rejoice in a war. Rejoice in a kingdom of God revolution. And if God needs to use war to bring a revolution, then who am I to have anything but my opinion on this. But I've grown to, since even before COVID, but especially during COVID and since then, I've grown to be very questioning of what government does and how much they really care about you and me. And that's both sides of the aisle, even in this country. But I do believe God is doing a great work. And that our vision of a kingdom of God revolution is the right vision to have. That is the right vision to have. And, and, and we don't get to play on the field with some of these people. We pray for them. And when I say what I said, I, I, I say this from the perspective of the leadership at the highest levels. Not the men and women in uniform who we know who we love and who we appreciate. That's why we have you stand on Memorial Day and Veterans Day and why we believe in you. We believe in everyone who's standing up and fighting and being willing to give their life for our country. I'm talking about deeper things. I'm talking about stuff that's high up that's very, very demonic. Again, let me say this. I'm not saying everybody in the higher-ups is demonic. I'm not saying that. I am saying, because we're on the cosmic war, 
And I'm going to really cover this more next week because I'm going to talk about the divine counsel of God and how demons, demonic spirit level, high level, probably archangel levels are controlling nations. They're controlling nations of the world. We don't have time to get into it here. If you want to get a heads up, you can read Daniel chapter 10 to get you ready. But that's just my opinion, done with my opinion, it's over, that I just had to make that commentary. Okay. Amen. So, if you were at Garden of the Gods right now, and you were standing in front of the balanced rock, do you guys know the balanced rock? Okay, the balanced rock is this 700 ton rock that's balanced on this very tiny base. And it, it, it seems supernatural. It's just amazing. People come from all over the world to see the balanced rock in Garden of the Gods. And if you stood right in front of it, it looks like just any other rock. And then if you took a step back, it still seems like a big rock. And then you step back a few more, and suddenly you realize, wow, this big 700-ton rock is balanced on this small base, right? And, and then you keep going back, and you see... If you're on the, on the north side of the rock, sort of the northeasterly side, what do you see? You see Pike's Peak. You start seeing Pike's Peak up there. And then you turn and you see Garden of the Gods. That's what we're doing in this series. We're, we're stepping back from some verses to look at the panoramic view of Scripture. And so last week we went from Genesis to Revelation and we looked at Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and it's called the gap theory. And I put it up with my parentheses around it so you understand what I was saying last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was sometime immemorial. It could have been millions of years. could have been five minutes. I'm not making a statement about that. But that God created the earth. This is before the six days. This is not the six days. God created the earth and then a war broke out and we looked at Revelation chapter 12. The earth then became, now this is verse 2, the earth became without form and void and darkness, waste and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Those are my parentheses. The New King James Version says, without form and void. The American translation is more accurate here and says the earth was formless and void. Other translations have it as waste and void. And this comes from the Hebrew words used tohu bohu, meaning a wasteland, wilderness, confusion, or a wreck. So comparing the Bible with the Bible, we looked at Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens... He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place. He did not create it a chaos, Revised Standard Version, but formed it to be inhabited. So my thesis last week was there was a war in heaven in time immemorial in which like a, like a nuclear blast possibly. Uh, Lucifer rebels against God and is cast down to the earth. And, and lays it waste, just lays it waste. Anything Satan does is always wasteful. Anything that Satan does is to destroy the goodness of God. That's why I hate war, because war most of the time is demonic powers coming against the second most hated, created 
thing in the universe, which is human beings. So Lucifer, Satan, or the dragon, those are the three terms you're going to hear me use in this series. Lucifer, Satan, dragon. That, those are scriptural terms for this entity. This, this spirit being hates God, but second, right up there in the same category, hates you. Because you're created in the image of God. So every time Satan and demons get around human beings, they hate us. So if you're inviting demons into your life, you're, you're creating chaos. You're, you're creating a void in your heart that could be a beautiful place for the creative genius of the Holy Spirit working in you. Amen. And that's your choice. But we have to have a panoramic view to understand how the enemy works because the way he worked at the very beginning is how he works today. And so today I want to talk about Lucifer and the origin of sin. Sun Chu in The Art of War makes a very insightful statement. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb to every battle. And I can tell you today, having been a pastor for as long as I have, that most believers do not fall into the first sentence. Most either know their self, but they don't know the enemy, or they don't know themselves, they don't know the enemy. But very few know the works of the enemy and know themselves. That's why we're doing this. Because I want you to come away with confidence over the next few weeks. I hope that each sermon will build increasing confidence in you against the enemy, not fear. But if it does create a little bit of fear... Because you recognize the work of the enemy in your life, that's a good thing. Because you gotta know your enemy and you have to know yourself. And all of us in this room have shame. All of us in this room have areas, dark shame caves, where the enemy's trying to get in. And I'm hoping and praying that you're gonna grow in confidence enough to say, I'm not gonna let the enemy in there anymore. I'm gonna cut him off. And I'm going to walk in the victory that's mine in Christ. That is what this is all about. So Ezekiel 28. So turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 28. Today we're talking about Lucifer and the origin of sin. The name Lucifer means son of the morning. If you are into astronomy, if you're into the cosmos, the stars, many of you know that the term for Venus is Lucifer. That's uh, in ancient Hebraic thought as well as Sumerian thought. Um, Venus is often called the Luciferian star because it is the star of the morning. That's the first star you see. When I'm out hunting early in the morning, that, you'll see that bright star there. Um, the sun of the morning. Lucifer means sun of the morning. That's why they gave it the name. Most beautiful of created divine beings but something terrible happened something awful happened and in Ezekiel 28 we get a we get a theological view of how Lucifer came about 
and kind of how he works. A little bit about his strategies is actually here. In verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Underline that. Prince of Tyre, thus saith the Lord. So there is a, in historical literature, there is a prince of Tyre. So this is really a man who is the prince of a nation, a province called Tyre. Now, in the 11th verse, though, there's a shift, and Ezekiel writes about a king of Tyre. Interesting shift. Verse 11, jump down to verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. So theologians believe that the king of Tyre is Satan or Lucifer here, and that this is our first indication of his work outside of, obviously, Genesis, where we see an idea of his pre-fallen state. We believe some kind of a pre-fallen state in which he's working behind the scenes, and this is probably where he was at work in his job description as a chief prime minister of God, as a high-level archangel over all of the council of God, and the council of God I'm going to cover next week so you understand the hierarchy of the, the council of God in Scripture, but that this prince, of, this prince of Tyre is being influenced by the king of Tyre. In other words, this satanic spirit being, we're going to call him Satan, is working behind the scenes of this world or provincial leader could have been a world leader. Um, we see this a lot in Scripture. So this is, this is not really uncommon. In other words, there was a serpent. In other words, Satan doesn't come with little horns and a little pitchfork like something out of Halloween. You know, and so you see these pictures of Satan and he looks a certain way. That's actually, that picture of him is based on ancient literature, and some of it's actually biblical in its imagery, but that's not how, he's way, way more sophisticated than that. He's not going to come into your room, and he's got a little pitchfork, and he's going to say trick-or-treat or something. Um, no, he works behind the scenes, and he always needs a person or an object to embody. So the serpent in Genesis 3 comes to Eve in the form of a serpent. We observe this with Peter. In the Gospels, when he rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. With Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, Satan is working behind the scenes, and Peter says, Satan has filled your heart. We see a magician that Peter must deal with who's being used by Satan to manipulate the power of the Holy Spirit, to fake out people with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it today with certain churches and certain groups that say that they're having all these signs and wonders, and we find out later that the leader is involved in all kinds of weird stuff, and the church is into all kinds of crazy stuff. Could be that it's demonic power. Demonic power can do signs and wonders. We had that with Moses and Pharaoh, where Moses does a sign and a wonder, and the magicians do a sign and a wonder. And, and, then, and then Moses does a sign and a wonder from God, and then this magician does it from demonic powers. So there's this king of Tyre working behind 
the prince of Tyre. So let's look at it starting at verse 12, what it says about Lucifer or Satan. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So this Luciferian figure, this, this spirit being, and I, I, I don't even like to use like the, to use the third person he, but it's definitely not a she, and it's a he, or it's not a he. I don't know. It's probably androgynous. We don't know. Maybe we should say it's an it, but in Scripture, it's called a he. So I'm just going to go with the scriptural perspective of this spirit being, this high-level spirit being having a seal of perfection. I mean, this being is in a place in the heavenly realm of high, high authority and power, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So to be fair to Eve, when this spirit came, it must have looked beautiful. Just comes beautiful. Have you noticed that sin comes beautiful to you? Those beautiful bodies on the internet, always in some form of beauty that you're tempted. The beauty of wealth. Not all wealth is bad. The beauty of sex, of course, not all sex in its far places is, is, is good. It's beautiful. But it's an embodiment of beauty by the enemy because he was beautiful. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, and diamond. Beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So if you, if you know about the beauty of the, of the gems that are on the breastplate of the priest in Israel, it's a picture here of a priest, a high-level priest with these emeralds all over the breastplate. And I don't know if this, I actually haven't done the research on it. If anybody wants to do the research, this would be interesting, but... The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. I have wondered if this wasn't the motivation or inspiration for the pipe organ. Because we're talking here, as you're gonna as we continue to read, of a high-level worship leader, a priest of the most high God as a spirit being. And I grew up with pipe organs in my background. So so I grew up Lutheran, high church, high church Lutheran. And uh, my dad was the pastor of the oldest, most well-known Lutheran church in the Atlanta area, St. John's Lutheran Church, massive pipe organ. I mean, the pipe organ was maybe, I would say probably 25 feet, you know, in width, and probably went up to the top here to the ceiling. It was huge. And so choir masters and organists all came to St. John's and did concerts and stuff because the acoustics were so amazing in, uh, in the church. But somebody had a vision for the idea of a pipe and different openings in the pipe to form a sound, right? I've just wondered, just me, if maybe this came from this particular place about the idea of pipes and sound coming through on the, uh, in the early days, it'd be the pump organ and stuff. But in Revelation 21, we see the beauty of the wall of the city adorned 
with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, or beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So the workmanship of God and the beauty of the heavenly realm is all over Satan. So Satan has some kind of an exalted position over God's creation. I'm going to say that Lucifer, Satan, or the dragon, well, I'm not going to say it that way. I'm going to say Lucifer, so before he fell, was the first worship leader over divine beings in the fourth dimension. So he, it appears, and all theolo- evangelical conservative theologians believe this to be, I think actually liberals do too, that this was the exalted position of Lucifer at that time. Now, the key operable verse here to me, the most important of all the verses, is this one. Was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, why is that important? Well, I was just driving through Woodland Park a few days ago, and I saw that The Exorcist is out in theaters now. Maybe it's been out for a while. I don't know. I don't watch those kind of movies, but it just came out of whatever one that is. Like, you got The Exorcist and you got Rocky. They never end, okay? But um, if you watch these movies, you could get the impression that Lucifer, Satan, or the dragon is almost omniscient and omnipotent because of the way they're, they're depicted in the movie. That is not true, church. This, this spirit being was created by God. That's what the scriptures say. That creation by God is under God. What we create is ours. We control that. That's why it's important in naming your kids. You should name your children because when you name them, you claim them. They become yours. They are yours. And hopefully, you know, in your life, that name is significant. If it's not, it will become significant. But giving names to the animals by Adam is is more important than we know. It shows, men and women, that we possess creation. We as emissaries of, as stewards of all creation by God, given divine abilities to name and to rule over creation is important. But remember, Lucifer, Satan, dragon, created by God. It's just a created being not omniscient, not equal to God in any way. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. So God put him as this anointed cherub covering over all the spirit beings. You were on the holy mountain of God. Holy mountain of God means the government of God. It means the presence of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. The commentator Pember writes, The mountain of God is the place of the presence, invisible glory, where his high priest would stand before God to minister. We know that the cherubim of God are stationed just below the footstool of the throne of God. Ezekiel 
126. So, the, so he's over the holy mountain of God. Lucifer is ruling over. He's taking the worship of the cherubim and the seraphim and the spirit beings. And again, I'll tell you, next week we're going to talk about what the holy council of God is and what that, what's happening in the heavenly realm. And he's receiving that and then giving it back to God. The French translator Segond writes, Thou wast a protecting cherub with spread out wings. Now he's, he's taking other aspects of scripture about the cherubs to devise that, but he gives the idea that there was this protecting cherub, kind of protecting the mountain of God over the mountain of God that was Lucifer. So church, music's important. Music is powerful in a nation. Karl Marx said, if you give me the poetry, art, and music of a nation, I will control them. We look at the advent of rock and roll music in the 1950s. You know, I'm not going to throw everything at the feet of Buddy Holly or something, but um, there, is a, there is a sound of the universe there's actually a sound of the universe. And you may have seen the studies that have been done on the sounds of the universe. I know Louis Giglio has done some great stuff on that, on the sounds of the universe. We don't have time to go into it. But there is almost like there's a tuning fork. It's almost like there's God's tuning fork for the universe. And they have taken rock music and put it in a nursery, put it in a, a, a uh, greenhouse, and the plants die. And then they put classical music in a greenhouse and the plants flourish. So, hey man, I listen to Boston. I like Boston. I, I, I like Marshall Tucker Band. I have to just be honest with you, okay? Um, but but there, there is no doubt that with the advent of rock music as we know it today, um, forms of rock music came right behind that was a sex revolution. I, I don't think it's a mistake by the enemy that he did that together and that our country has been on a major slippery slope morally since then. I mean, right on the cusp of all of that was kicking prayer out of the schools. So there's a strategy here, folks. Don't be dumb. I mean, there's a strategy here that was coming together. There's a strategy with a demonic spirit over Israel right now to take out Israel. There is a strategy by terrorists in, in these countries to kill and to maim and to slaughter. And it's been a true in all time, but it's especially true today. Karl Marx, if you give me the poetry and art and music of a nation, I will control them. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. So if your kids ever ask you, mommy, daddy, where did sin start or where did it all begin? It's not Adam and it's not Eve. It's Satan. It started in him. So something, um, I'm going to say, just call it what it is. I think pride. Pride's the root of all evil. And uh, pride was welled up because of the worship, I think, and the adulation that Lucifer received. And suddenly we go from one will in heaven to two wills. And you know there can only be one will in heaven. 
So when there became two wills in heaven, one will needed to go, and then that was Lucifer, and that's the First World War. That's what we were reading about in Revelation 12. The dragon was cast down to the earth. Genesis 1-1, between 1-1 and 1-2. Suddenly, there's no longer one will over the inners, but two. Two wills in heaven, and sin began in the heart of Lucifer, some kind of a spontaneous generation, and he is, or it is, cast to the earth. Now, let me just say this about something I talked about with the gap theory last week, because there were, one person came up, and if there's one, there's probably ten. But... I believe in a literal, I'm a young earther in the sense that I believe in a literal six-day creation, okay? Seventh day he rested, six-day creation. I'm talking about before that creation began, which I would argue as a second creation. And in the old Schofield Bible, they believed in the gap theory too. How many have heard of Chuck Mitzler? Anybody heard of Chuck Mitzler? Chuck Mitzler was a big believer in the gap theory also and lots and lots and lots of other theologians. It was, it was very popular, actually, from the 1700s up to about 1950, and then there were some, some changes in it. So, anyway, it, that's, a, that's one of those areas, like, I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. I gave, you, you know, my thought, but you totally can say, I don't believe what Steve's saying. I believe in this. That's great. You can, that's totally cool with me. I don't care. Um, I just want to give you an idea that there was a war in heaven, and that I believe it lines up with, uh, with Genesis. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So that's where sin began. And that's why it's so hard for beautiful people to stay humble. Some of you say, well, I'm not very beautiful. Good. That's a good thing, you know. I remember thinking I'm so short. I'm like, I've got lots of zits, you know. And when I'm in high school and everything, and, I, and now I look back and go, that was a good thing. Nobody was attracted to me, right? <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, now look back at verse 2. So look at the same passage. Look back at verse 2 because this bears notice because the king of Tyre, who we just read about, whose heart was lifted up because of his beauty. Look at the description now in verse 2 of the prince of Tyre. Because your heart is lifted up, sound familiar? And you say, I am God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the midst of the sea, yet you are not a god, though you set your heart as the heart of God. That's where we struggle, church. We think we're gods. We think we're capital G gods. Okay, and that's where you get into trouble. The more talented you are, the more beautiful you are, the more um, elevated you are, the more you're going to be tempted toward the ways of this anointed cherub, Lucifer, and pride's going to well up, and you're going to get yourself in trouble. And so what happened in the past through this anointed cherub happens today all the time. I mean, when you read the book of Daniel, look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar looks out. He looks over all of his kingdom. Pride wells up. And then Daniel has to give him a prophetic word that you're going to be cast down from your throne because of the pride that's in your heart. It happens all the time. It happened to David. And so we're all susceptible to that. And it's an old, old way of the enemy. Now, turn to Isaiah 14. 
Isaiah 14 has to be juxtaposed to Ezekiel 28 because Isaiah 14 describes what happened in the spontaneous generation of the heart of Lucifer for him to be cast out. I like to call it the five I wills, the five I wills of Lucifer. And so we see what happened in his spirit. This is a anatomical view of the beginning of sin. Verse 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And I'm going to talk a lot about that next week, about the weakening of the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is what happened. This is the first great world war. The first world war was not 1918. The first world war is right here. He willing to take over heaven, to take over God's place is what cast him out and he became the dragon, the ancient dragon of old. So men and women, the beginning of all sin is you making a declaration of independence. That's the beginning of all sin is you saying my will be done instead of thy will be done. All sin starts there. But you who know Christ and have a personal relationship with him are complete in him and you being created in the image of God with the Holy Spirit living within you have power over every principality and power in the heavenly realm. So as we close, go to Colossians, go to the New Testament, turn to Colossians chapter two. And I wanna close with this. Definitely don't wanna close talking about Satan. I want to talk about who you are in Christ if you've received Christ. If you've not received Christ, this is not true of you yet. You're on your own, man. You and Lucifer can hang out together all you want. But if you want to be free, if you want to be able to hold your head up, pick your chest out, push your chest out, put your head where it's supposed to be, which is on your shoulders, not confidence in you, but confidence in Christ, this is for you. Colossians 2, 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's the life you can have. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. That's why some of our kids go to college, fired up, and they come back totally hating God, hating the church, not wanting to follow God because they've been listening to these professors who are of the traditions of men, empty deceit, philosophy, basic principles of the world. And we're surprised, we're surprised and we're paying them to indoctrinate our kids. 
I'm sorry, you guys. That's, that's something we've got to start reconsidering. Do you want your kids going in to philosophical situations? You're actually paying them to indoctrinate your kids against Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Underline that. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Underline that. He is he is over every principality and power. And if you've put your faith in him, he lives in you. That means you have power over any principality and power. There's not an archangel out there. There's not Satan out there that has any power over you if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can walk with a confidence and you can tell the devil to leave. And I'm going to talk about the power of, of, of fasting and prayer as it re- relates to this next week and the week after because we see in Daniel 10 a picture of how we do our warfare against the enemy. And I'll tell you, man, I've cast out a lot of demons. And they know when they encounter me, I know what I'm talking about because I spend a lot of time in this book. So I know this book. I understand this book. They don't. They think they do. And then I tell them to get out of Dodge, and they do. And you can too. So let's stand. And I want you to remember who you are in Christ. You go, oh, man, if you only knew all the mistakes I've made or who I was, what I was doing on Saturday night, I don't care. Here's what I care about. I care about you starting today and in the days ahead. Hang with me over the next few weeks. Hang with me. My prayer is that this teaching will give you great confidence. I want you to walk in greater confidence that you've ever walked in before in your life because you understand your weapons, you understand your God, and you also know the enemy, and you know what he's up to. Thank you for listening to the Born for War podcast. We hope today's message has empowered you to make a difference in your world. To connect with Pastor Steve's sermons, books, and blog, visit steveholtonline.org. God bless. God bless.